Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Second hour is here, coming up in 20 minutes. Dan Dockich on the show from OutKick. Don't at me. Mornings across the OutKick network. Dockich will join us. We'll ask his opinion on, uh, on the number one overall pick or projected number one overall pick in the NBA draft. Is there should be a weight requirement for top picks. <laughs> yeah. well, we there, will, uh, I mean, we'll ask Dan Dockich that question. There should be a weight requirement if you're seven foot and under 200 pounds. Uh, again, that's in 20 minutes. We will uh, hit the other headlines throughout. Uh, Deshaun Watson uh, in the news and, and much more. Uh, guys, uh, one of the best overall just straight sports stories that I, I would say you would hear at like an off-the-record charity event or you know at a bar or whatever it might be. Gary McCord, who had the, the, the nice cameo appearance in 10 Cup, uh, longtime CBS broadcaster for golf. He's been banned by Augusta. He's no longer with CBS Sports, to my knowledge. Uh, but he is featured as one of the storytellers uh, in this new biography called Phil, where uh, the, the author, Alan Shipnook, talked to McCord about crazy gambling stories with Phil Mickelson. And Mickelson and McCord would actually bet on the round or on the actual hole Mickelson was playing while McCord was up in the tower. And here's how he would explain this going on uh, is I'll, I'll get the quote exact here. When I was in the TV tower, every time Phil got to my hole, Bones, his caddy, would look up at me and I would flash the odds. If Phil had a 15-footer, I'd flash three fingers, which meant the odds were three to one. If it was 60 feet, I'd give him two to one on a two-putt. Bones would go down and whisper in his ear, and Phil would look up at me and either shake his head yes or no. I can't tell you how many wadded-up 20s I threw out of the tower until the tour found out about it, and I got word through CBS I was no longer allowed to gamble with Phil while we were up in the tower. That is awesome. And that is going on at every country club in America, and the fact that Phil Mickelson's doing it in the middle of his round is incredible to me. I... I I'm not surprised that Phil Mickelson's doing it at all. I'm surprised that Gary McCord in that role is doing it because his, he has to know his bosses aren't going to like it. Well, now, you, you said he's been banned from Augusta National? Yeah, because yeah, of his Masters. bikini. The greens are like bikini wax comment. Bikini wax greens. Oh, okay. So, uh, it's funny you bring up that story. It's an incredible story, but this is sort of art imitating life, I guess. Gary McCord in the movie Tin Cup, there's a memorable scene where he's gambling yep. with Kevin Costner on what's going on. And they also have the, you know, they're going out back in the I was clubhouse. Like, yeah, I'll take that bet. And doing it. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll take those odds, which is funny because Gary McCord, probably a technical advisor uh, for the movie, probably said, yeah, this actually happens because it was happening at that time with Phil Mickelson. That's, well, that's it's a great also story. amazing to me that they know exactly what they're talking about. Like uh, the hand signals? Yeah, that this is about a two putt or this is about, you know, there are a couple different permutations this could be about right here, but we're speaking the same language. <laughs> yeah. And to, to know, <laughs> just to, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 
picturing the mannerisms of this, you know, from the tower. He's calling. He's talking, right. And he's, he's actually, like, holding up. He's signaling to Bones, who's then going to whisper. And, you know, maybe we see it as, like, advice from the caddy. Right. <laughs> and Nicholson's either taking the bet or not based yeah. on what he's Here's reading the on the green. And how much money. And now this book is also saying that, that Phil lost $40 million in gambling between 2010 and 2014. It's a huge story, by the way. Yeah. I wonder how much more the book gets into just how big of a problem. I mean, we're talking about a guy. I don't think it's gotten enough steam, quite frankly, and maybe it will now, um, who you know gave up his private jet over this. You get used to a certain lifestyle. I, I'm not saying woe is Phil for not having a private jet anymore, but you go from flying a private jet back to, to coach. That, that, that's a flying schedule. Yeah. That's a, going back to going to airports as a famous person. That's a amongst a, the commoners. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a big deal, <laughs> you know, and he's taking Saudi money in part because, uh, he's his, in financial lifestyle. Yeah. He's in financial straits. We had uh, Virgil Herring on who said, you know, desperate people do desperate things. And he thinks that a lot of this with Phil is, He's desperate for that type of money because he owes a lot of people a lot of money. And, let's and take he's in this, trouble. Let's take this out of 2012 back just 20 years. Now, I'm not even talking about taking it to the, to the 80s, the 70s, the whatever. But the way we looked at gambling and a guy with a gambling problem, um, you know, and golf is different. Like we're not saying he'd throw a tournament or something like that. But he's betting on himself in an individual sport. Yeah, right. It's a different deal. But still, like Phil Mickelson, twenty years ago, if we heard this stuff, we would have thought a lot of people would have thought this guy's a degenerate, right? Well, yeah. it's not. Here's the thing about well, the gambling. No, not, not if you've been at, again any country club in America. You've got these guys betting on these rounds, and you're passing off twenties, hundreds, whatever it might yes, be. Yes, but losing I mean, forty million dollars. You know, forty million a, for again, it's guys, like, a celebrity with a big problem. Sure, sure, but um, it's not a problem unless one of two things happen: you're th- taking money to throw something or affect something in some way because you need the money or you want the money, or, you're or hurting your family. you lose all of your money and your family's in debt. Because of it. We laugh at Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley gambling stories of right. $50,000 yeah, a hole because, to our knowledge, Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan have never been in such bad financial problems with them and their family that, well, if they want to make that much money or lose that much money, you know, gambling on everything, I guess that's, that's up to them. And by the way, these, I, I would say a lot, I, I've never been a part of it, but I would say there are broadcasters that could be interviewed, um, especially, I would say, from that era that could have stories like this. And I'm just glad we have guys like Gary McCord who will tell a story like that on the record. That is, uh, to me, that is an awesome story that we would never hear otherwise. Oh, yeah. Because of the, you know, how everyone would treat it now compared to 20 years ago. Yeah, no, that shows you something that you never would have expected um, and brings it to light. I I bet you there's more juicy stuff in that book than that. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Well, so this was the uh, the year anniversary of him winning the PGA Championship. So they don't have their and winning me a lot of money. Quite a year. They don't have their returning speaking of game uh, champion back. Yeah, can I borrow that from? And Vegas? the book is due out on this and right after this anniversary of his PGA Championship title. Um, you know, Tiger talked about Phil not being there and how disappointing it was that you don't have the returning champion there, um, among many other things. Speaking of Saudi money. Uh, you know, he, he needs the cash. Phil, by, by showing up, can make some co- 
could make some coin uh, at, at this tournament. So I thought uh, so just while we're on the on the topic, um, Tiger was asked about what Phil uh, about Phil's support of the new tour. And he said, I understand different viewpoints, but I believe in legacies. I believe in major championships. I believe in big events, comparisons to historical figures of the past. I love that answer. I'm not surprised by that answer. Um, and I think, I think if you go to all the big guys in all the big sports, like you, you take a spinoff scenario in anything. Michael Jordan would answer like that. Um, uh, you know, all the big guy, Mickey Mantle would answer like that, right? Name a big historical sports figure. Put him in a scenario where he had a chance to spin out to some alternative. And I bet most of them would have answered the same way, that it was important to them to stack up to their predecessors, to the ghosts that they were chasing, and, and, uh, and the leagues they were in or the tournaments they were playing had huge import to them in terms of their standing. And that's part of what we like about sports, right? Yes. A big part. And uh, it's also a level of um, gratitude in what he's saying. But also, I mean, Tiger Woods is in part Tiger Woods because of the PGA Tour, because because of of these institutions that were around for years set up for him to go win majors. And he won those majors, and we we know that. Tiger also did a great job, I thought, of – not burying Phil Mickelson and paying respect to the champion from last year. And I know that he, he doesn't speak a lot on a lot of things, but he had a long answer about all the Phil Mickelson stuff and said, I'm disappointed whenever the previous champion is not in a, at an event. And I'm very disappointed that Phil is not at this event having won it a year ago. And he said, I'm sure that you know, Phil wanted to take time away for himself, and that's probably a good thing, and, and I wish him well. And I want him to get back on tour also. I want him to be back at events like this because events are better uh, with Phil Mickelson. That's cool. I thought it was a good way of, I don't agree, and I told him, I don't agree with some of the things he's saying about the PGA Tour, and my stance is different from his. I also hope he gets back because the sport's better with Phil Mickelson around, which I I, I thought was very well said. I like that thing about I don't like it when the defending champion's not here. Yeah, and he said that about any tournament. I want the defending champion at the tournament. I don't know if it's Tiger would ever talk bad about a player, though, given the fact that they've probably got some stuff on him as well oh, of course, over the yeah. years. And they took up for him over the years when he wasn't around. Tip for tap. Um, same for Dustin Johnson or any of these guys. Yeah. So um, I, I would only turn ahead to this if it were, he said what? Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, if he buried him, yeah. what if Phil just comes out of hiding right now? It's like, you know what? I got a few things to say about <laughs> Tiger Woods. The year was 2006. It just oh, what goes through a list of grievances. Well, well, what he could really do with that is you come to the Saudi tour, tune into the Saudi tour, and I've got some stories for you. My gambling and Tiger's uh, uh, sideshow. You know, we, uh, you had mentioned the new 30 for 30 on the 2000-2001 Ravens, yeah. and I want to see it. Has, have you guys seen the one on Greg Norman? Mm-mm. It came out like three weeks ago. It was right after the Masters. Shark is the name of it. And I keep meaning, it's in the, just in the back of my mind talking DVD. about this. I want to see it. And I can just go to ESPN Plus and watch it at any point. Uh, but I, I've not watched it. I've, I've not seen anything about it. It's so weird that he's the big guy over the Saudi Golf League and all this talk about it. And there was a documentary done about him 
and I've not heard a bit of buzz about the He had the, some the big interview. I don't know if he was on and 60 Minutes or something where he was really distancing himself, making it Well, like, he was asked about the Khashoggi uh, being I've murdered. I've never met BSM. and uh, No, he just oh, said, yeah. he's like, well, the, the worst quote was, I mean, look, everybody can make, make a mistake, mistake. and yeah. he's uh, owned up to the mistake. Yeah. And chopped him up into now. pieces. And we moved on. Had him out forward. in suitcases. That's yeah, just a mistake. It was just, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't, you know, I murdered someone and covered it up as the head of state of, of someplace. It was oh, just a mistake. that We've moved past that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Like, if you, if you say nothing. That was the quote I, I If read. you say nothing, ultimately the story goes away. If you don't address why you're going there. Like, you know, the NBA can play preseason game, say, hey, we're going over there. Um, uh, WWE can do a pay-per-view over there, whatever. No one says a word. Uh, because they're not saying something stupid like Greg, Mo- Greg Norman said. In yeah, this well, instance. like... Uh, and even that went away relatively quickly. An, an example, you know, with uh, ESPN, for example, they just don't respond. Right. Like, I mean, our site, OutKick, has multiple stories on ESPN, and their response always is they decline to comment. Or they didn't respond to the email, just in hopes that it'll go away. There's going to be more stories written about it, but the response, and, and no one cares. No one comes back on that and says, hey, why don't you respond to this? If you did this, this, and this, and I could say that about the NBA, the NFL, anyone, it's amazing that there's not more shame in not responding. There's, like, at least have some, something prepared and come back and say something instead of just not responding to anything in hopes that it goes away. Very little shame in anything anymore. Coming up. Dan Dockich is about to join us. Uh, we will get into a variety of topics with Dan the Man uh, with uh, Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. We'll start with his take on some of the top players that are positioned to go top five in the NBA draft. We tie that in with the NBA draft lottery of last night where Orlando ends up with the number one pick and they have the chance to take a seven-foot player who's less than 200 pounds. He um, looks like a GM in that picture. He's got hair in this Dan picture. Dan Dockich, uh, for those listening, wearing a suit in the photo. With hair. That we're, with hair. Uh, pre- That's, that, with was hair. The, that was yes. the big, that was the big takeaway for me. This, one, this is whenever he and ESPN were in good terms and uh, good graces. Uh, I think he also still liked Bobby Knight at this uh, point. At this, this time, photo yeah. was taken. Dan Dockich next on OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
You can follow Dan Dockich's show now on Twitter at Don't At Me DD. Dan Dockich of Don't At Me on the Outkick Network joins us on Outkick 360. Dan, hope you're doing well. Oh, man, it's raining like crazy here. I can't get my background on, but I'm doing great. That's all good. That's all good. Hey, um, Orlando's doing doing well. Number one overall pick. We, we had a discussion earlier how uh, the the draft lottery itself should be a made-for-TV event, and it's just a bore uh, na- nowadays. We're th- <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a clue who's who's up there representing some of these teams. You know, it's like uh, it looks like some of these guys are serving on a grand jury while they're sitting there. Um, but Chet Holmgren is, uh, depending on which sports book app you pick up, the likely favorite as the number one overall pick. And we had a, a short discussion. We'll get your opinion. Seven feet tall. Chad looked this up. 190 pounds. Um, should there be a weight limit to be the number one overall <laughs> pick if you're seven feet tall? Uh, he's pretty good. I'm not picking him number one, but uh, it looks like people think I'm picking the Banchero kid from Duke. He's really the only difference maker that I see in this class. But uh, yeah, there should be a weight limit. Look, you got to be 200 pounds. Come on, you're seven feet. His problem is his shoulders are about this wide, and that's not great. Like I've said on my show and other shows, when I saw Anthony Davis in high school, man, he was skinny, but his shoulders were this wide. James Harden's shoulders were – LeBron James' shoulders were – you know, when you're this wide in the shoulders, he got knocked down I, – I think it was the Duke game they played. He got knocked down seven times in that game. I'm not picking him number one, but everybody seems to like him. Are you picking him number so two? I guess he'll go number one. <laughs> uh, he is – here's my deal. Uh, Banchero is my number one prospect. Holgram and Jabari Smith are going to be, you know, in the top three. I wouldn't take either of them uh, because 6'10 guys that shoot the ball, while in theory in the NBA are difference makers, they really aren't. Uh, what is difference makers in the NBA is a guy like Banchero, who's a 6'10 guard who can do a ton of different things. You know, Jabari Smith, the kid out of Alabama or Auburn, he can shoot it. And everybody goes, yay, Rod, go fight, win. He can shoot it. It's almost like everyone named Smith. Joe Smith was the first-round pick. Jalen Smith out of Maryland. They all can shoot it, but they don't help a team win. Uh, guy like uh, – there's two kids that I, I really like. Uh, Jaden Ivey, look, uh, he is the best upside of anybody in the draft. And a kid named Mahurin from Arizona. I'd take those two kids – over everybody in front of them and whoever you want to put in front of them other than Benchero. I I think a lot of teams are going to make a common mistake. It's like back when, I think it was 18, um, the first pick in the draft was DeAndre Ayton. Okay, fine. The second pick, man, I said it on a broadcast. I ain't buying Marvin Bagley even a little bit to help a team win. Well, he was the second pick by Sacramento. Guess who the third pick was? Luka Doncic. You got to have guys that can go make plays. The 6'10 guy that doesn't help you really do anything other than make a few shots, those are the teams that go to the Orlandos, that go to the Sacramentos, that go to the bad teams. So uh, those teams will pick one of those guys, and a really uh, a lucky team will get this Mahurin kid out of Arizona or the Ivy kid out of Purdue. Dan, Patrick Beverly certainly is not afraid to give his opinion uh, on ESPN. It's getting a lot of attention for it. Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports said, I'll give him a blank check to do a weekly podcast for Barstool. I'll pay him whatever he wants. 
because of what he's willing to say. What have you made of, of his comments about uh, Chris Paul that most people are talking about? But seeing someone that's a, you know, a current player right now that's uh, this outspoken. Yeah, I like the fact that he's outspoken, but I think his shelf life for people getting bored with him is going to be about a week. I, I, I think that, look, when you're Patrick Beverly, people forget that dude's blown playoff series too. I mean, he is nowhere near in the conversation. I agree with what Matt Barnes said, man. You know, you're talking about a 12-time All-Star in Chris Paul. You're talking about a nine-time All-Defensive team. What are you really talking about with Patrick Beverly? I mean, you're talking about a nice player with a big mouth who likes to fight, folks. So I, uh, I'm a Dave Portnoy fan. Uh, I think on a podcast, the dude might be good, but I think people get tired of Patrick Beverly in about, a, I don't know, maybe, maybe a week or two. It's cute initially, and you go, damn, uh, that's a current player talking about a current player. That's a guy talking about one of, you know, you can make the argument however you want to make it that Chris Paul's an all-time great. But, you know, to me, I always look at things like, yeah, what have you really done compared to the person that you're talking about, particularly when you're talking about it in the same vein. If somebody wants to come out and say, well, you know, Tom Brady isn't going to be a good uh, TV analyst, that's fine. But when you're a guy in the arena talking about a guy in the arena who has a 20 times better career than you had, it's just another guy talking. It's kind of like David, Dennis Rodman kind of started it, or maybe the Bosworth started it, I don't know. But whoever, it, it, it just, I think he would get tired. I, I know guys on, you know, in the media have said, Patrick Beverly's going to be the next superstar. No, he's not. Let's no, let's stick with Chris Paul and the Suns. What did, what did you make of their utter collapse, and particularly that Game Seven non-performance? Yeah, I, I don't. You know, Paul. I think whenever that happens, you know what people always say? Well, the NBA's fixed. It's unbelievable. Like I don't think it was fixed. I I, I can't tell you what I made of it. Like I'll be honest. I've, I've, I love the NBA playoffs. I watch the NBA playoffs. I've been watching them since I was a kid, man. And I've never seen anything like that. I, I've never seen a team at home get routed like that in a game seven. Maybe it's happened. I have no idea. I, they didn't come to play. I don't know if they were fat-headed, overconfident, or the other way. Maybe they didn't like each other and they want the season to end. I did say years ago that I thought Chris Paul's leadership was fraudulent. I did, and I, and I stick by that. But I didn't think it was fraudulent enough to get beat by 40. I mean, I turned it on. It was 57-27, and I, I thought to myself, no, this can't be right. What, what, what is it? I'm, Paul, I don't know what to make of it. I, I've been in and around basketball for my entire life, and in my entire life, I swear to you, I've had a team get beat by 46. I've beaten teams as a coach and a player by that much. But I've never seen in the NBA playoffs a team. They didn't show. Maybe they didn't like each other. Maybe they were fat-headed. I don't know. But I, I swear, I, I, I'm, I've said publicly on every show that I've been on, I got no clue what the hell happened there. Dan Dockich with us, host of Don't At Me on the Outkick Network. Dan, let's rewind five years ago. Five years ago, I tell you, that LeBron James and Russell Westbrook are going to be on the Los Angeles Lakers roster, and they're going to be struggling to find a coach that wants the job. What would your reaction have been? <laughs> uh, there's some pretty smart coaches out there. <laughs> I didn't think the coaches were that, were that smart. <laughs> uh, you know, the truth is, five years ago, um, 
Russell Westbrook was seen as a guy that, man, what a great motor. And then all of a sudden, people really started exploring it. Look, here's what I always say to coaches. I always say to coaches two things. Number one, you're getting paid more money than you could ever make in any other profession. Like, we can all say Popovich and Kerr and all these guys are geniuses, and maybe they are. But they're not making the kind of money they're making in any other profession. I, I don't care what anybody says. They're not, you tell me Phil Jackson would be a Mensa Buddhist <laughs> king, and he ain't making the money he made in basketball. So when a job, when a job opens up and it pays that much, that's a damn good job. The second thing I always say is you always want to be playing from up top. You don't want to be swimming upstream. Well, if you got LeBron James, you're playing from up top. Now, I know it didn't go well this year, but you're playing from up top. You're paid a lot of money as a coach. The third thing I say is to figure out the tough situations. Hell, anybody can go get Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, that crew, and win you 60 games, whatever. But I think Phil Jackson did a remarkable job making them all buy into it year after year after year. Well, if you're worth your salt and you want to coach, I'd take that damn job in a second, <laughs> even though I don't like players, even though I don't want to move to L.A. And most coaches, what? Hey, what, what job you want? You know, what? what, what? They're going to pay you five, six million to do what? Coach tall guys to throw a ball in a basket? Are you, who are you crapping? And you got the best player in the world who seems to be focused on working out. Show some sack. Figure it out. Man, I don't want – hey, look, you go coach at Bowling Green like I did with the lowest budget, the worst facility, you're swimming upstream. That ain't no fun. Coach at Indiana when I was with Bob Knight, you got all the advantages, man. That's a lot easier way to go about it. You would have crawled to L.A. Uh, from Bowling Green had, had given the opportunity to coach the Lakers is what I'm hearing hey, here, Dan. Hey, it's, it's raining right now. I live on a lake. I'd get in my damn little inflatable <laughs> naked uh, and pedal. I'd figure out how to get to the White River. The White River connects to the Mississippi, to Mississippi. And I'd get to L.A. and get to coach LeBron James in L.A. Screw You know what? Like, what jobs do guys want? What, what, what do you want? What, you know, what's a good job in the NBA? To coach a bunch of clowns? Coach the Sacramento Kings? Stop it. Go to L.A., win the championship, quit, tell everybody kiss your ass and show everybody your ring. So I, I want Tom Brady's new gig uh, once he's done playing, if I'm going to answer the, the question honestly oh. of what he's doing with Fox. $375 million. Jim Nance comes out and says, this contract shows the value of our bro the broadcasters, and this is what they should be paid. Uh, with the value of the broadcasters in, in, in the NFL. My question, Dan, is, I mean, I understand if, if that's what it takes to get Tom Brady and you want Tom Brady, you're going to pay Tom Brady that to be on TV. But is it really the broadcasters or is it the product? And are we going to tune in no matter what with where the NFL is right now? Hey, man, the, what, the Kansas City Chiefs play at Tampa Bay this year. You can put a bag of sand in the broadcast booth and people are going to watch that game. Hey, let's be honest. That's the easiest job in America. When I did college basketball games, I'm like, this is stupid. They should make me pay to get in the arena. 
Tom Brady hasn't said an interesting thing in his life. And now I'm telling you, this will be, it'll start out where Tom Brady's the greatest announcer ever made. It's like, it's like Romo. Romo started out predicting plays. Now Romo is awful. He's unlistenable. He doesn't do it anymore. He's bought into his own stuff. With Brady, it's going to be, oh, this is the greatest. Did you see Tom Brady said this? And eventually Tom Brady is going to have to do one thing. He's going to have to make people interested in what he has to say if he's going to be worth that money. You, The NFL, is, I always say this, you got to know what you have. Like Indiana a few years ago, basketball, paid this guy from Dayton, Archie Miller, like $3 million to coach basketball at Indiana. I said at the time, you should tell Archie frickin' Miller, here's the deal. We're going to give you a quarter million dollars to coach here. If not, stay your ass in Dayton, Ohio, <laughs> as opposed to coming into the Big Ten. You know what I mean? I, 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 I'm all in on Brady. I love that our, our folks at Fox, who we're all paid by, is paying announcers. Yay, Rob, go fight, win. But ain't nobody tunes in to watch an announcer. The only guy that anybody's ever tuned in to watch might be Howard Cosell. But other than that, nobody's saying, hey, uh, who are the announcers tonight in the 4 o'clock NFL game? If I don't like the announcers, I'm not watching the Titans against Tom Brady. Really? Okay. Yeah, all right. Sure. I've got a slight theory on this. I think the networks are bored. I think that it's so easy to put an NFL product out right now and make money on returns. And there's 75 of the top 100 shows last year were NFL games. So now it's just like, hey, we've got this big war chest. Let's spit. Let's get Tom Brady. Let's let's tout a victory because we got Tom Brady. That's a huge victory for Fox to be able to land Tom Brady. If you're ESPN, hey, let's get Joe Buck and let's get Troy Aikman from Fox, whether we need them or not. Let's spend whatever it takes to get them. I think these networks get bored because of the success behind the NFL. You know, I, I, here's one thing I learned. Man, do network suits like stars. I mean, damn. Patrick Willis, a linebacker, came to ESPN one day, and I was there doing radio, and every swing and you know what in a suit came down and literally got their knee pads out, and they were fawning. And I'm like, it's Patrick freaking Willis. Who gives a rat's ass? So that's what, hey, man, these dudes love stars. Now, here's the one deal with the Fox uh, situation in Brady that I saw that really made sense to me. You know, they got those up fronts, right? And I think it just happened for Fox. You got to go present yep. your fall lineup. One of the things I saw in the $37 million a year with Brady is that he's going to be basically a brand ambassador. Now, I got to tell you, and I agree with Barkley and Shaq, that's a pretty man. And when he walks into a room, I'm telling you, the room lights up. The only person that I've seen like that is John Mellencamp's wife, who was a supermodel in the Pantene commercials. She would walk into a restaurant, and one time she said, hey, Dan, how you doing? And I swear to God, I just went, uh, gorp, uh, 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 yeah, okay. I mean, Brady is that guy that when he gets in front of advertisers or he gets in front of, you know, well, advertisers, promoters, Everybody fawns. So by that, I think it's a great deal for that. I do. But hey, look, nobody gonna watch. Nobody says, "Hey, I'm not watching uh, the Cowboys against the Steelers uh, because Tony Romo's not doing the game." Nobody does that. You watch the Cowboys and the Steelers. You watch the Titans and the Colts because you want to watch the Titans and the Colts. It's 
It's eighteen or nineteen dollars for a Michelob Ultra tall boy at the PGA. Oh. Is this beyond your limit, or will you pay what it costs? Yes. Will it, <laughs> you're a rich man, Dan, and yeah. if you need a beer, you need a beer. I am. <laughs> yeah, there isn't a beer in America worth twenty dollars. I don't care if it's a tall boy. In fact, I had the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Doug Bowles, on my show in Indy today, that and means I'm like, nothing dude, to us. We we live in Nashville, Tennessee. Okay. I know, but I said to him, you got one of the biggest sporting events in the world. If you charge 20 bucks a beer, I'm going to wear a sandwich board and protest the Indianapolis Motor Speed. 20 bucks what did my he say? ass. What did he say? You What's his price? He's, he's, he know what he did? He said, well, you know, there's a lot of things. There's insurance. There's liquor license. Oh, I'm like, dude, 20 bucks for a Mick Ultra? Come on. Uh, no, And one of the things they do at the 500 is you bring in a cooler and they allow it. 20 bucks is unconscionable. I'm not going to lie. I don't know your politics. I blame Biden because I blame him for everything. <laughs> I blame him point blank. 20 bucks, 20 bucks a beer, my ass. Um, so Kelvin Sampson, your buddy, Dan, he has come out and said, <laughs> if, you wanna, if you want to do something about NIL and transfer portal, go back to the rule where kids have to sit out a year if they want to transfer anywhere. This is an interesting idea, Dan. But it's also, it completely contradicts what pretty much every coach said when they said this. They said, you know what? The players are right on this. If we can leave and go take another job, then they can leave if it's not the right fit and go to another school, and, and that's okay. They'd have to come back on that and say, well, now because of NIL and money being involved, we want to re-implement this rule that makes you sit out. Is Kelvin Sampson right? I'm going to see if I can get you to agree on something that Kelvin Sampson said. Well, you're wrong in one point. Most coaches privately, if not all coaches privately, say that kids should have to sit out unless their coach leaves. You know, coaches at that level pay, pay big buyouts uh, to be able to leave. Here's where Calvin Sampson's right, and I'm actually curious about this. I think in five years it's going to start coming out that kids aren't graduating. Remember back in the day – Everybody was all about college basketball and football players graduating. So they did all these things to make them graduate. And this is from my personal experience as a player, as a coach. Every kid that sat out a year looked back on that year as the best year of their collegiate career. They got themselves acclimated. The pressure of basketball was off of them for the first time, really, in their entire lives. And they got ahead academically. I'm not going to be surprised. It ain't going to happen. Calvin is not wrong here. Calvin is saying what a lot of coaches are saying. The, 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 when you, when you, you know, put your finger up in the wind, the wind a thousand percent is blowing against what Calvin said, and we totally get it. I'm curious in five years when graduation rates come out and a kid's been to four schools in six years – as they can be now, or four schools in five years, or three schools in four years, and they can't graduate, I'm curious where the media wins are going to be, where the, uh, the, the, the people that say this is all about college kids are going to be. Because I'm telling you guys, and again, I'm just going by the experience that I had in talking to kids. I took transfers. I played with transfers. Uh, I had kids transfer and want to come back to them. I had it every way you want it. And to a man, they're like, man, that was the best thing for me. I got my academics right. I got older. I figured it all out. 
It was, I got bigger, stronger. I learned to work ethic, whatever it was. So Calvin is saying what a lot of, actually a lot of professors are saying, but nobody wants to say that because the minute you do, the billises of the world and all the people, they just come right at you and say, well, coaches are greedy. Coaches are a lot of things and greedy might be among them. But I'll tell you this, man, the majority of coaches that I know, and I don't really include Calvin in that, really gave a rats about players and really gave a rats about academics. So revisit this in five years and see which way the wind's blowing when we see that all of a sudden 83% of college basketball and football players are graduating now. That's higher than the normal uh, student at a university rate. And let's see where they're at after all this stuff. It's going to be interesting. I don't think Calvin's wrong. Dan, uh, last week you you had your IFB that was broken. It's back. It's working properly. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but your backdrop, it, it started with like, you guys noticed this, it was blue to begin, and now it's, it's black. black. Yeah. It's black. You look pretty so, good for your, um, no, this is your best no background appearance. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, you look great, and uh, now you have your own Twitter account for the show, so congratulations on that. Progress. Well, well you know, one of the things that I love coming on here about is – you know, and I don't know what I would call it, you know, Paul's fashion critique or Paul's critique of how Dan looks, because I see Paul as a very fashionable guy, and he understands when you have a black background, you got to wear blue, and it goes with my eyes. When you have a blue background, you got to go with red. <laughs> Only Paul and I understand that, by the way. You other slaps, you don't understand that at all, but Paul and I... We got it, man. We, we, we got it figured it's out. Our, it's our ESPN training. <laughs> color contrast is not my strong suit. <laughs> right. Sure. I'll, I'll fall in the sword right. on that one. Would they, actually, See, they would actually train you guys on this? Are you joking, Paul? No, not on that. No, no. I'll tell you this. Rules on uh, I'm sure there were tons of rules. There were not tons of rules, but I'll give you something. That, that was the difference. When Mike Tirico and I worked together, like, you had to be careful what tie you wore. Like, if you're doing a Michigan yeah. State-Indiana game, you couldn't wear a green tie or you couldn't wear a red tie because then every slap in America would say that you're rooting for. So this is a true story. One time I'm doing the Wisconsin-Marquette uh, game, and actually Jimmy Butler was in that game, and I realized I had a red tie. So I went to one of the little student reporters. I go, hey, dude, can I just switch ties with you for this game? So that nobody thinks that's the NBA. Tariko told me, yeah, nobody cares. But college basketball, like Bo Ryan, I walked into practice. I had a red jacket on. He goes, hey, you got to take that jacket off. I go, boy, I love you, but I ain't taking a jacket <laughs> off. I mean, your your stupidity is your stupidity. Don't don't reflect it on me. But the tie thing was important, at least as a college basketball analyst. Tie training from Dan Dockich. Paul, you could give everyone a lesson through ESPN on your iPhone video training whenever they wanted you to vlog like twice a day or whatever it was. Well, they had this thing where they gave us these big contraptions. <laughs> that, uh, they shipped them. You know, to that him. we had to put the iPhone in and it had a microphone and everything. And gradually, unbeknownst to them, as we were talking amongst ourselves, we all stopped using them and just held it up like, yeah. like this and without the microphone and everything. <laughs> And nobody was saying a word to us, and we didn't have to spend the, you know five minutes putting our phone in the contraption and stuff because <laughs> you know we, as soon as we were done, we needed the phone out of this thing to be able to to text or write a caption or whatever. Nobody ever said a word, so gradually we all started leaving them at home. Look at us now. Hey, there was a 
there was a guy that if they thought, uh, maybe you did this. Do you ever have to go see a guy named Swartsky at ESPN? Swartsky, the interview guy, yeah. So, so, did you have to go there? <laughs> yeah. I loved it. Uh, Dave Winfield was did in my you? class. I never had... Is that I never had to go. That's my proudest moment. I never had to go see Swatsky or whatever the hell his name is. Swatsky. Because I'm a bad Three student. Three syllables. He has trouble. What's his name? Swatsky. He's not there anymore. <laughs> hey, look, Paul, nobody's there anymore. Uh, <laughs> Paul, I went to Indiana. At Indiana, they said, you. hey, look, what de- they said, what degree do you want? I said, ah, give me communication. They said, okay. You didn't, there's no education at IU. Three syllables, that's too, too many. I've learned a lot and more we, about what an Indiana education is since I became friends with you, Dan. And you're not impressed, are you? Dan, the, the response, all you need is you're working for Clay Travis and Fox, both of you. <laughs> that's the time, only that's response it. you need. Hey. Ivy League or Indiana, hey, I, both ended up in the same place. Welcome to OutKick. Yep. That's right. I'll say this. You at least have a, you know, you're out in the public. I'm literally the guy that works in his mom's basement, although it's my basement. <laughs> you got your dog there, though. You know, that's the cool thing. Yeah, he was he was sniffing my crotch, and I wasn't mad about it. <laughs> I just got a report that my dog can't use his back the, legs right now, and he's on the way to the vet. There are people, there are people who uh, love the stars and want to get the knee pads out. Meanwhile, Dan Dockett's request to work with his dog That's in right. the garage. That's quite the loyal animal you <laughs> yes. have there, Dan. Yes. Well, be careful. A chad will shoot him. He's that, afraid of yeah, dogs. Dan. Well, no, I'll shoot your dog since it's got a Ooh. bum back leg, apparently. <laughs> Dan, it's no longer <laughs> Thank useful. Thank you. Have a great weekend. I know you've got a uh, show tomorrow morning. We'll be watching. Thanks. See you, Dan. Thanks, fellas. Right. Thanks, guys. Dan Dockett's there. Uh, don't at me with Dan Dockett. Stay tuned. How many cheeseburgers can a toddler, I don't know, eat uh, but order? order? We've got a full number for you from DoorDash that happened. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
Bryson DeChambeau is withdrawn from the PGA Championship due to his hand injury. Outkick 360 rolls on. He had been in Tulsa trying to work through that. Ultimately, has determined he can't do it. Um, so we will not have DeChambeau at the PGA Championship at Southern Hills. Um, I couldn't live with that. Well, I mean, I just like the personalities, you know? Hey, the more the merrier. But if somebody's of the top guys, top Americans leaving, I can live without him. I like seeing the uh, the bombs from the tee, like his shot trajectory yeah, versus little, the others. He's got a little happy Gilmore to him, too, with his approach and <laughs> swing. Um, so uh, Texas Toddler dials up a massive, uh, massive McDonald's cheeseburger order on DoorDash. Joe Kenzie with a story at Outkick. Um, 31 cheeseburgers delivered <laughs> via DoorDash. My son was playing with my phone. I thought he was taking pictures, but when I looked back, he had ordered 31 cheeseburgers. There was a, uh, so my daughter, who's, uh, uh, by the way, just turned seven today. Happy birthday, Evie. Yeah. Um, we watch America's Funniest Videos, uh, an institution in this country. Been, go- been on for a long time. A Going back to Bob Saget back in the day. Rest in peace. But there was a video on there where there was a kid, looks like the kid from Joe Kinsey's story at Outkick, that ordered like seven um, cars that toddlers would drive, like the big cars, trucks. And uh, was ordering them on his mom's phone, and had seven delivered of these uh, little, you know, toy trucks they would they would ride around in. So knew what this is apparently doing. something that happens a lot now with parents giving their kids their phone, where they can just get on there and start doing things. We've had kids order movies, not bad movies, but like order movies that are you know pay per view uh, that are just out of theaters before on you know just messing with a, the the remote. On a TV, so seven of us, seven of us currently in this room. I know Hutton's not going to do much on the cheeseburger trail. Could how much damage could we do, Chad? To thirty-one oh, these McDonald's, cheeseburgers. These McDonald's ones are small. I could, I could do thirty-one of them. Contribute. Yeah, I, I could do like four or five. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I could do if I didn't eat all day. I could probably do all thirty-one. I have not had McDonald's. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I've not had McDonald's legitimately in like fifteen Let's, years. Try it out. We want. I don't want to do that now because I feel like there's actual health sick. implications yeah. for me if I do that. You know, no, ten years is, ago, this I is not it. in the spirit of this conversation. Chad once uh, he once swallowed many hot dogs. <laughs> many. How, many, how many? Delicious hot dogs. A bunch, but they were small. They were miniature. They yeah, were the they half were like size. mini hot dogs. I thought I was getting an actual hot. Did dog. the hot dog contest produce? <laughs> did the hot dog? I need a little more length on this thing. Did the hot dog contest produce the conversation where I was talking about feces at the place where the hot dog contest yeah, was? Yeah, we, we got some a of the customers got from upset. someone there that said, "Can you not talk was it the about same day? Can you not talk about excrement?" We were there, we were there multiple times. It was. Oh, the by same the way, day. It's the um, very first time I think this is not the first Lance time. Lance Armstrong, we were talking about. This is about. A, a, apparently something that happens often. A four-year-old Noah uh, inadvertently purchased. He's inadvertently purchased twenty-six hundred dollars worth of SpongeBob popsicles on Amazon. That makes for a big freezer. <laughs> now, next, they're ordering a big freezer. <laughs> I can eat all those. <laughs> Any challenge you put in front of me, I will, I will be victorious. 360 headlines next, including Deshaun Watson meeting with the NFL. And we will discuss a change to conference championship games, particularly the Pac-12. That's next on Outkick 360.